Welcome everyone to the Optimal Performance Podcast. My name is Sean McCormick. I'm a life coach, performance coach, wellness entrepreneur, and it's my pleasure to bring to you every single week the world's leaders in the field of performance so that you can live your life at its most optimal level. Plus, cutting edge ideas so that you can stay ahead of the curve in an ever-changing world. Let's dig right in. Oh, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I am so stoked to bring to you the best guests I can possibly get to give you the best possible content to live your optimal life. Sometimes that's EMF protecting underwear. Sometimes that's blue blocking glasses. Sometimes that's Bruce Lipton or Rob Wolf. Sometimes it's guys like our guest today who I'll introduce here in a second. But before I do, like I mentioned before, and I'm going to do this for a little while so that everybody kind of gets used to this, I, I am, I'm going to talk about the sponsors for the show. Um, the reason is, is because the sponsors for the show enable the show to happen week after week. And this week, our sponsor is My Vital C. My Vital C is an olive oil-based Basically, it's a longevity drug. There was animal tests, I think it was in the 80s, and they did this test and it actually helped the mice live 90% longer than their cohort group. They did a, uh, they did a, a control group that didn't get this um, carbon-60 supplement, um, in this case, ESS-60. They did a carbon-60 supplement and the rats lived 90% longer than the other rats. Now, these are test rats that like get tumors really easily, that die quickly. Um, it's a really fascinating study. I did a podcast with Chris Burris from My Vital C and that was podcast podcast episode number 231, which was, it's a really popular podcast. A lot of people have gotten a lot out of it. So you can use a a supplement that you take every single day. And how it's helped me benefit my life is recently it's helped me avoid some of the effects that I get from seasonal allergies. It's helped me sleep deeper and it's given me energy in the evening time. At the at the time that I'm recording this podcast, it's 8.30 at night. I still have a lot of energy and I'm still going to be able to sleep like a baby tonight because I'm wearing my blue blocking glasses. But you can go to myvitalc.com and you can use the code OPP for 15% off your first online purchase. They're testing some additional products, but really this is like one teaspoon of olive oil that you take in the morning time is when I take it. And some people have purported benefits that it helps, that's helped them regrow hair, um, helps strengthen their bones, and it's a really quality product. Like I've said before, I'm never going to advocate for any product that I don't believe in, that I don't like, that I haven't researched thoroughly. And my Vital C is just a really, it's a really quality product. You can tell a quality of product when the people subscribe to get a subscription model where they get a bottle every single month that will last them a month and they keep it. You know, when you get something in the mail, it's like, oh, that's right. I subscribe to this thing. I get it again. You're going to remind yourself, okay, am I going to keep taking this? Am I going to subscribe? Am I going to keep purchasing it? And almost everybody does. It's a really high quality product. I love it. Another sponsor for today is Natural Stacks. You may know this already. Natural Stacks was the presenting sponsor for this podcast for years. They're the reason that this podcast exists and I'm very grateful for them. And today I'm going to talk about my favorite nootropic of all time, which is Neurofuel. Neurofuel is 
it is an all-natural supplement. It's a smart drug. It's a nootropic um, that's made from artichoke extract and a couple of other products. Basically, I've tried a ton of nootropics, the racetams and alpha brains and qualias. And for, for my experience, Neurofuel has been the most reliable, the strongest, and, and it, I don't get a, it's not habit forming. I don't feel like I have to have it to stay focused. So it helps me in my brain. It helps me think faster, helps me find words quicker. And it really does help me be more productive and remember the things that I read over the day. It's really, it's a, it's a fantastic product. You can go to naturalstacks.com and use OPP15 for 15% off uh, your first online purchase at Natural Stacks. Again, I'm not ever going to advocate for a product that I don't use and that I don't believe in. So go to naturalstacks.com. Um, that's really it for the sponsors for today's episode. I'm not going to pack them in if, if they're not necessary, but I do. I'm, I am excited to talk about today's guest. Eric Godsey is a, he's got a bachelor's in psychology. He's also the host of The Myths That Make Us. He is a, he's a modern sage. He really is. Um, of, of the people that I've come across in the last, I don't know, six or seven years in the world of personal performance, in spirituality, in living the best life, Eric has been super consistent. He's a great writer and his podcast is phenomenal. He has great guests. He's, he's really good at what he does. And he thinks deeply about how people think. He's really into um, symbolism. He's into dream states. And we dig into all sorts of really cool information in today's podcast. We look at symbolic psychology, what's going on in the brains of the people of people across the world right now. We talk about what we can do to activate changes in behavior during a time of crisis. This concept from positive psychology with using the acronym HERO, hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism. This is what you should do during a global crisis, which we're all in a global crisis right now. And he, we talk about some thought experiments that you can do to help develop these attributes during this time of crisis. We also dig really deeply into dreams. And this is one of his sort of core competencies. He's, he's, he's really studied, really fascinated, really learned in Jungian psychology and dream states can be used really effectively to help us learn more about ourselves. He's got a he's got a line from from this podcast where he talks about there is literally a god inside of you that is trying to teach you and guide you during your dream states. Now, I have certain opinions about what that is, who that is, you know, I think it's spirit guides and I think it's your highest self, um, but it is definitely wisdom that we can track and that we can learn for, learn from to be better people. And everybody's having wacky dreams right now. I mean, if you're listening to this, there's a really good chance that you're having strange or longer or more vivid dreams. And there's, there's probably a good reason for that. Number one, you're getting probably an extra cycle of REM sleep in the morning because you're not commuting into work. So everybody's getting a little bit more time to sleep and a little bit more time to dream. But also we're all sort of in a state of fear right now. We don't know what to expect. We're trying to protect ourselves. We're stuck in our homes and uh, that can do a lot of different things to our, to our psyche. And it can do a lot of things to our dream states. So as we have these deeper, more vivid uh, dreams, what can we do to learn from them and how can we use them to 
be more effective in our life and and to to like maintain just just get better we talk about the hero's journey for those of you who are familiar with the work of joseph campbell it's this it's it's the oldest and most consistent theme in all of the stories since the beginning of humanity basically you have to leave home you got to face the dragon you got to get the gold you got to get back home and improve the community that you came from this is this is literally the the basis of of most stories that you see and we dive deeply into what we are in right now is sort of our own hero's journey individually and and globally so really fascinating podcast i really enjoyed our conversation i would suggest that you take some notes on this you know pull out your your notes on your phone as you're listening to this podcast and really settle into the words that he says because he speaks very clearly and very deliberately and the information is is it can be life-changing if you want it to be and we're all in need of some change before i jump into the podcast thank you again for listening uh, i want to mention one more time the stop method the stop method stopmethod.com is a tool it's a video that i prepared for you to help you confront and to deal and to eliminate negative thoughts. It uses a classic neuro-linguistic programming pattern interrupt to get rid of negative thoughts in your life. We're all having them, and this is a really effective tool. So go to stopmethod.com, watch the free video, and if you wanna book a call with me, 30-minute free coaching call, we can talk about what you're facing, what's going on for you, and you will leave that coaching call with a plan. You will have something to do to keep moving forward in your life. And a lot of you have already taken me up on it, and I appreciate that. I want to talk to more of you. Go ahead and go to stopmethod.com, watch the video, and if you want to follow through and take it a step further, book me for a coaching call. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to this episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. And without further ado, Eric Godsey. And I'm joined by Eric Godsey. He has a Bachelor of Psychology and is the host of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Eric, welcome to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Brother, thank you for having me on. You know, this is, uh, we're, we're getting intimate quickly with our shirts off here. This is definitely a first for me. I don't know if you do <laughs> podcasts with your shirts off all the time. Is that like a thing for you? No pants, no shirt. No, I'm joking. <laughs> this is actually the first time I have not had a shirt on. This is great. So... I, this is going to be a a wonderfully meandering conversation, and you had me on your podcast a couple of years ago, and it's taken me a while to return the favor. But th- your the way that you think, uh, your 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 depth of knowledge into psychology, uh, into Carl Jung, into shadow work, and your application, your actual application of that knowledge into the world, into the things that you do is something that I really, really admire. So what I would love, just so people have some context, is if you would please sort of share your, make vanilla sort of like, here's who I am, here are the things that I do so that people have an, an, an idea of who you are. Yeah, man. Uh, first, thank you uh, for seeing me and for having me on and for saying that. Um, I think 
probably because it's always interesting to think about where do I even begin to explain what it is that I talk about because I'm in such a cocoon at this point where everyone that I'm talking to like knows the words that I'm saying and knows what I mean. And then when I talk to somebody that I haven't talked to before, I kind of see their face and they're like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But essentially, um, I'm my background is in cognitive psychology, and that's kind of mainstream scientific psychology. But I'm super passionate about Jungian psychology, which you could say is like <clears throat> symbolic psychology. And it's essentially, you could say that there's two ways to look at the world. There's a scientific model, which is how things, how facts operate in a quote-unquote objective world. But we can talk all day about whether or not there even is one that you can perceive. But then there's also how has the human organism evolved to experience reality, which is very different than what an objective fact is. And Jungian psychology is essentially, for me, the best map I've ever found to help people understand how it is you perceive experience itself and getting into dream work, which is one of the main tenets of Jungian psychology, I have found to be the best tool that I've been able to bring to psychedelic experiences and then also to help people with mental illness understand their mental illness in a way where they have something that they can actually do themselves to improve their condition as opposed to default being given a pill that really what the pill does is just inhibits their body's ability to send them the messages that Western culture has deemed symptoms that need to be removed. But really it's the body saying, hey, we're out of balance. Can you redirect in this direction? And I think that that's probably, you know, one way to introduce it. Yes, man. So many things, even from that, even just brief opening introduction into your worlds, which I'm happy to be a part of once again. I want to go right into, so that is an excellent example again of what is it that we do? What can you do? Not just what can you conceive of or, or how do you think, but what can you actually do to uh, alleviate suffering or to do the work in this life? What are the behaviors that are required of you to make progress in your life. And that is all that I concern myself with yeah. as a life coach, as a guide for people, doing similar shamanic work as yourself and and really helping people put together a plan of action to change their life. And that is what we are all in need of is to continuously change our life to like reinvent ourselves over and over and over. But I want to really drill into dream states right now because yeah. I did sort of an unofficial Facebook poll recently. And in my network, I just asked the question, is anyone else having trippy dreams right now? Yep. Everybody is having trippy dreams right now. Yep. Everybody. I, I looked at uh, at an article that said that you know people aren't commuting, so they may be getting like one more ad additional cycle of REM sleep in the morning because they're not having to wake up and commute because they're working from home. And I thought, well, that yep. that's a cool way to explain the 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 why there's there's a, there's a larger occurrence of it. But there's more to it. There is more to it. Please tell me what you're thinking about this. Yeah. So. <clears throat> 
one of the main things that Jung elucidated that now is almost common knowledge. So what's really interesting is that when you track all the ideas that Jung outlined in his books, most of them have made it into mainstream new age spirituality as like common does. Like he came up with, or he gave the name synchronicity its name and now it's just everywhere. But that's one of many ideas. But one of the things that he has talked about is that, so you have an ego, but then he talks about you have this thing inside of your psyche and psyche is the word that he used to represent the totality of your psychological experience. And your conscious mind is like 1% of the iceberg. And then you have a subconscious mind, which is like 8%. And then the rest of it is your personal and then the collective unconscious. But we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now. But in the center of the conscious mind is the character that you call the ego. He says in the center of the collective unconscious mind in each of us, there's a character called the self. Like it's, the, it's what I think most people think when they say higher self. And that this thing is inside of you. <clears throat> it's watching everything that you do. It knows everything that you think. It knows all of your desires, all your dreams, all your fears. <clears throat> and it literally creates a world for you every night that is so powerfully constructed that you've experienced it tens of thousands of times and maybe four times you've recognized that it wasn't real, that it was a dream. Like it's that powerful. It's that good. And it seems to be that it's creating these dreams to speak to you. And the reason why it doesn't use direct language, the biological hypothesis is that the part of your brain that processes language is the newest part of the brain. And that part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is asleep when you're sleeping. But the old ancient part of the brain, the part of the brain that our ancestors have had for hundreds of thousands of years, that thing communicated prior to language through feeling and vision. And so when you have a dream, almost always, it's emotion and it's images. And that's its way, like it's the old ancient part of the brain trying to talk to the new part of the brain through the only way it knows how, which are the, the dreams. The idea that Jung had is that your dreams are always trying to help you solve problems that are arising in your life through symbolic representations. And the metaphor that I like for this is it's like the life force moving through you is like a river. And if something falls in the river, it can start to flood out onto the banks of the river. And a small object that falls in creates a small ripple. And that ripple onto the soil, those are your dreams. When something huge falls into the river, like your partner cheats on you or you lose your job or you feel existential fear about the nature of reality, big ripples come onto the banks, big dreams. Every motherfucker in the world now just had a boulder put in their river. And so everyone's psyche is trying to solve this problem, mm. which is their personal representation of what this virus means in their life. Hmm. <laughs> and depending on your mental faculties, depending on how mentally resilient you are, how much introspection you've done, how much stress you've faced, how resilient you are, how how tolerant you are, how closely you are connected to your dream states. Everybody's dealing with it differently, and and yeah. everybody is having this this um, sort of variable association with their dream experiences. Well, tell me, like, what uh, what are your dreams like these days? 
Yeah, so my dreams were the most intense the first couple of days after I really allowed the scale of what was happening with the virus kind of seep into my psyche. <clears throat> and it probably took about seven to eight days after it made its way to America for the first time for the news and other people's reactions to get to my psyche to the point where I could feel a shift happen. And for me, I had a couple of dreams in a row where the visceral feeling that I woke up with was like the warrior part of me wanted to go kill the enemy. Hmm. And for me personally, one of the archetypes that's the most inhibited in me is the warrior that expresses itself through aggression through the body. Like I can be aggressive psychologically and like being able to read for four hours in a row and not check my phone like that's a type of aggression but the bodily aggression growing up i was taught by my mom if if you do that you're like your dad and that equals bad and so that's one of the most inhibited parts of me but as this threat arose i could feel that that part of me was like give me a fucking dragon to kill mm. like that's how activated my psyche felt in response to this and so i remember having a dream where i was in a church and there was a woman next to me, actually one of my ex-girlfriends, and these three men came in and sat between me and her, and they started to like aggressively, like blatantly, but good humoredly, like uh, flirt with her in a way where people behind us in the church got upset with them. And then a fight broke out, and then I turned around and everyone was gone, and it felt like they had been kidnapped by evil people. And I felt like, my ex-girlfriend has just been kidnapped and I just felt this rage of like, show me who did this and I will kill them. And the takeaway that I got from that was that I interpreted psychologically the virus as a physical threat, stealing the love and the freedom from the people in my tribe that I care about. And I wanted to go fucking fight. Everybody should have a dream journal, right? I mean, like if there were ever a point in time in history to like really be paying attention to what's going on in your dreams to, to, to do the most, let's just say convenient, like psychological self-analysis. I mean, meditations, people are going to do it or not going to do it. You know, float tanks are closed. Okay. You know, unless you've got a stash of psychedelics to, to, you know, to be journeying at home. Um, this is the opportunity that we all have now to really be tracking about where we are emotionally, psychologically, right? I mean, like, this is, this is it. Yeah, the way that I would frame it is you literally have a God inside of you that paints art so vividly that it's a dream and it's a gift that you're given every night that if you learn how to interpret, you are literally going to have a guide that is divine that will help you solve your problems in your life. Like you still have to do all the hard work of doing shit that you're afraid to do, but it will show you the ways. And, you know, if you should on people, their reaction 99% of the time is to get defensive and shut down. But if you embody the healing and the dopeness from doing the practice, that's the most likely way that we can inspire other people to do that too. And so that's what you and I are just fucking trying to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my dreams recently have been like rallying people, um, rallying people, uh, onto boats, um, leading, leading tribes, um, you know, uh, living in the woods and, and, and 
and I have not, you know, dream, dream processing has not been a real focus for me and my sort of, um, my work, but I am, I do track and it's all like step forth, you know, stand up and lead, um, rally, you know, I'm a, I'm a father and a business owner and a coach and, 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 and in a given day, I've got, you know, 15 or 20 people texting me saying, Hey, like I'm doing, I'm going through this thing. I need a little bit of help or Hey, in, in the next session, can we deal with this thing and that thing? So it occupies like a massive part of my brain. Um, and so it's no surprise that, that, and, and my ego is tied to that too. Cause I get a lot out of that. I get, I like being the guy that people go to. I like being the podcast host that brings cool people on to talk about deep stuff and, and help help their life. Yeah. I, I, I really love your conception of the God inside of you to guide you through your dream states because, uh, we got to have something to do. We got to have some, some action. We got to be able to, 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 to make sense of this thing. I wanted to talk about this, this framework that I've just come across. Um, uh, I've been doing, you know, I, I've been looking tirelessly for practical frameworks and I don't like frameworks, frankly, like, I, uh, they, uh, they, I, for me, they seem to limit, they seem to limit people. And, and so, you know, we're talking in, in your context and in the context of sort of Jungian psychology and Joseph Campbellian, Campbellian, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hero's journey stuff. Like I dig that I'm in that, but you know, um, psychological frameworks I struggle with. But one thing that I did come across from positive psychology was this acronym of hero, like what to do in a crisis. And the hero acronym stands for hope, efficacy, resilience, and optimism. Yeah. You have to have those four traits during a crisis. If you don't have those four, man, you're just going to get swallowed up. And so I would love to go through, you're the guy for this. I would love to go through each of those traits, um, and talk about ways that you might think or, or, or that would help people. Are you, are you up for that? For sure. Cool. So let's start with hope. We can, uh, we can, I already did a coronavirus episode with, with an expert from the informed consent action network, a guy named Dell big tree. Um, he's anyway, so I can, we can leave the sort of what is this really, and what's really going on. We can leave the sort of conspiracy theory stuff to the side because I want to make this really practical for people. So regardless of what you or I think about what is really going on, um, period. So when it comes to hope, if you were thinking about how people might be able to practice hope, be in a hopeful state, do some sort of action or some behaviors or some sort of task to instill hope, what would you, what would you suggest? How, how, how might people think about how they, can, how they can be hopeful? Yeah, so hope essentially comes down to what is the story that you tell yourself about what it means about how you choose to act in the world. And there's a couple of different main stories that people tell themselves. And the psychological literature is very clear. If your story ends with you, that your actions don't matter or that you don't have the ability to make change in the world, you are very likely to succumb to depression or mental illness. Hope, 
at its core is the belief that through your actions, you can make the world better even 1%. And so I think that the way that you develop hope, if you don't already have it, is choose to run the experiment. And there's a, one of the most famous quotes in psychology is by William James, and it's, um, my first act of free will is to act as if I have it. And so what you can do is you can choose to run the experiment for a week. I choose to act in a way where I believe that the positive actions that I take in the world will make the world a better place. And depending on how um, much you personally want to measure your journey, you could literally journal for a week before you do this experiment <clears throat> and journal about how you feel at night and rate yourself on a scale of one to 10 about how well you feel as an individual. And then on Sunday, start to run the experiment where you choose to act as if what you does, do matters. And then you could journal at the end of the day and you could actually ask yourself, and I'm willing to bet nine out of 10 people, you will feel better if you act as if you have hope. Now, to help you run the experiment, Everyone listening has a favorite movie, and everyone's psychology cannot help but identify with the protagonist. And so, like, the name of my phone is literally what would the hero do? And so whenever I'm in a situation, like, I think of a person that I admire, and I'm to the point now where I don't have to articulate. It's kind of a felt experience, but it's like, what would the hero that I admire in my favorite movie do in this situation? And like... My favorite movie is Princess Mononoke by Studio Ghibli. And the main character, his default is basically whatever is right, no matter how good it is for me, right now, I do it. I don't flinch. I fucking do it. And that's the program that I run. So you can pick your favorite movie, pick the character, ask yourself, what would he or she do in this situation? Do it for a week, journal at night and see how fucking dope your life feels. <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that. That's perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to start doing that. Uh, okay, so let's jump to the next one. Um, efficacy. Uh, efficacy is obviously ties really closely to hope. For sure. Right? Like yeah. how, how, how much trust do you have in your ability to affect the situation? Like, yep. So what are some things that people can do to Absolutely. instill that sense of e efficacy to be effective. So efficacy is essentially what is required for you to have hope because efficacy is essentially the model that I have of the world. When I run the experiment of acting it out in the world, I get close to what I predict that action will create in the world. So an example would be like, if I go and I work out every day, after three weeks, I start to see a change in my body. I have a story that if I do squats and if I don't eat bullshit and I run sometimes and I jump rope and I do that consistently, I will see a change in my body. And then you see the change in your body. You're like, oh, one of my stories about the world maps closely enough onto the infinite swirl that is reality that I get something close to what I predicted it would create. Um, whenever you run a business, if you make any profit, that's the world telling you your model of the world is at least close enough where you're getting something approximate to what you intended to do. And I think the way that you can begin to build efficacy is to start small and to do it daily. I think one of the core things of efficacy that 
is implicit is you have to be able to fucking trust yourself. And if you can't be consistent on anything that you tell yourself you're going to be consistent on, you don't even run the experiment properly enough in the world to get the feedback to see whether or not you are effective. And so it could be as simple as for a week, I will meditate for at least one minute. I can do more if I want, but I just have to show up for one minute. After I do it, I'll go to my whiteboard and I'll cross off the Monday that I did it today. And then I will check in in my journal at the end of the day about how I feel after a week. And if I feel slightly more calm, huh, one of the stories that I just ran gave me close to the outcome that I predicted. Whoa, I'm, I'm, I am able to act in a way that actively improves my life. Mm. And then you start building on top of that until you become a superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as I was thinking about this one, one thing that, that – uh, that has helped me think of this and that has come up in coaching clients for me uh, sessions is like, you've been effective before. Mm. So look back into your past and look at a moment, look at a time when you got shit done. Yeah. When did it work out? When, when were you effective? And for some folks, it was high school. For some folks, it was, you know, uh, they were effective in in um, landing their partner. Like I I found that guy or girl and and it worked out and we're happy. Yeah. Um, so what I suggest in addition to add on to add on to yours is to think about well you've you, you've you've gotten things done at least one or two things done. You would be dead if you were not effective. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're not effective at digesting food, you would die. You you you've, you've been effective before. When was yep. that time? That's a great question. And when were you? What were you doing during that time? You, you what were what were your habits? Who, who did you surround yourself with? Like how does that map into today and how does that actually build on your hope that you can be effective? So, yeah, I love And the that. thing that comes up when I hear that that's really interesting to connect to is literally every single person listening to this podcast was effective at doing probably the hardest thing that they will ever have to do in their life subjectively, which is learning how to walk. And every single one of us attempted to walk and fell over. I think the average is like six to 8,000 times, or it might be more than that. Like you literally tried 8,000 times without a single moment of potentially being like, maybe it's not for me. No, no. It's like some part of your bodily intelligence knew this is a part of our destiny. There is no, hope wasn't even a factor because it was fate. And you just did it over and over and over and over and over thousands of times and nobody had to teach you. Yeah. And then you learned it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And 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 building on that, now you don't even think about it. Right. It's, it's just, it's a part of you. It's driving a car. Like, it was hard at first. You had a lot of fear around it. You, you screwed up. You know, your mom or dad screamed at you, you know, slow down or, you know, and now it's, you barely are, you're barely conscious when you drive and that, that sort of, you just keep going until you get it. Uh, yeah, love it. Okay. Moving on to resiliency. Now this one, I know you're going to have a lot to say because resiliency is something that is dependent on a lot of different factors, including trauma and 
for I just got done doing um, neurofeedback sessions. I did uh, 25 neurofeedback sessions and I got into a really good conversation with um, the practitioner that was doing neurofeedback with me and she was talking about resiliency and how even even before you're born, if your mom um, was smoking or drinking or staying up late or not getting you know enough nutrition, like your that, that affects your your resiliency. If you saw things that were heinous when you were a kid, that affects your resiliency. If you went to war and you saw things and you did things that that were that were really really hard that shook your reality, your resiliency goes down and down and down. It just diminishes and diminishes. Your bucket begins to drain. Right. So for for you, how do you think about ways that people can yeah. build up their resiliency? Yeah, so this is a really interesting way to frame it. Um, here's how I see it. I see what you said is a fact based off of what we know about biology, but I see it so it's about 50% uh, influenced by your genes about 20% influenced or maybe even 30% influenced by environmental factors like everything that you just mentioned, and then about 20% influenced on, uh, at its core, the story that you have about what your life is. So awesome. Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm just going to jump in really quick and interrupt for a moment to remind you that I have created a neuro-linguistic programming tool just for you to deal with with handling negative emotions. We are inundated by them, and this is the perfect podcast to take some action on all this stuff. You know, these these thought experiments that Eric is talking about, ways to cultivate these tools to help you through this crisis. Go to stopmethod.com and watch the free video and learn this tool. And if you want to take it further, sign up for a one-on-one -on -one coaching session with me. It's free. A lot of you have already taken me up on this. Uh, there's no risk. There's no strings attached. It's literally just 30 minutes of a coaching offering with me to help you deal and work through something that's kind of been plaguing you. You know, there's a really, there's a really strong effect when you take control of your own consciousness, of your own mind, of your own emotions, and through a classic pattern interrupt with four steps that you can do quietly by yourself, uh, it is massively effective at getting rid of negative emotions. Fear is the is the predominant emotion that most of us are facing right now. We are fearful of the future, fearful of our jobs, fearful of our, our finances and our health. And uh, while that's okay to be fearful, if it stands in your way of being productive or focusing or just being present with your family, go to stopmethod.com, sign up, and watch this free video. Again, no strings attached. I just want to provide it for you guys. Uh, it's something that I've been working on for a while in addition to an online course that's called the Real You Course, and that will be coming out soon. I'll be telling you guys about that, but for now, go to stopmethod.com, learn this tool. It has worked wildly. I want to tell you just one quick story about how this worked for one of my clients. He was recently divorced from his wife, and they had split custody of their children, and his wife left him for one of her coworkers, and he was so pissed. Uh, he was just he was just overwhelmed with anger for her, and it was getting in the way of his relationship with uh, all the other people in his life. It was keeping him from being present with his kids because he was so consumed by, by anger for his wife. Once he went through this stop method, he was no longer angry with her. 
this non-productive emotion of anger was getting in his way and it wasn't doing him any good to be angry at her. So he went through the stop method and he was able to be more productive at work. He was able to be there for his kids. And his wife actually said to him, like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you being so weird? And he's like, I'm, I'm not being weird. I'm just being more calm. I'm not angry with you anymore. And she's like, why aren't you angry with me anymore? What, what are you doing? Are you stoned? And he's like, no, I'm not stoned. I just, I've let it, I've let my anger go, uh, which boggled her brain. So if this sounds good, in, interesting to you, if this sounds good to you, if this is something that you think might be useful, go to stopmethod.com and learn more about it. Okay. Back to the show. Okay. So moving on to optimism and obviously these map together really nicely and are sort of interwoven. When it comes to optimism, and, and it's interesting to me the distinction between hope and optimism. Uh, I have a little trouble kind of differentiating between the two, especially within this context, and it does round out the acronym really nicely. Yeah. But I'm curious about a how you how you conceive of optimism and how you might suggest people uh, develop a sense of optimism. Yeah. So the difference that I see between hope and optimism is that hope is the belief that a future state will be, but it's not yet. Whereas optimism is seeing the positive of what is now. So Mm. like an optimist will see the glass as half full. Hope is the belief that the glass will be refilled. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so optimism. So the fact of experience is that it's infinite. And that what you perceive is filtered through all of your conditioning and all of your stories. And you see a fucking sliver of reality. And the way that we've evolved um, is we've actually evolved. So one of our core programs is to to conserve energy. And our organism is always running that program. And anything that's working does not require you to act on it. So your default is to ignore anything that is working. And literally, for you to have consciousness in a body and experience your life, billions of processes in the physical world and biologically in your body have to be going perfectly for you to even have consciousness. But you have evolved to ignore it because it's wasting energy to think about what's working. And optimism (laughs) is essentially cultivating the perspective of seeing a little bit more of everything that's working. So for example, anyone listening to this right now, you are literally in the 0.1% of people who had means in the history of mankind, like in the 0.1% of the most fortunate humans that have ever been on this planet. Now within that 0.1%, we can create all types of stories about how we're marginalized and victimized and all that stuff. And there is some truth to that. But what is also true is that you have benefited from thousands of years of humans coming up with invention after invention to allow for culture to even run as well as it is now. And like the, just like we were talking about earlier, like you have solved so many problems in the world to get to the, to this point in life that you are right now. And optimism is essentially the conscious cultivation of seeing more of what is perfect right now just to balance out your psyche in a way where it's like, it's not all fucked. It's not all bad. It's not even half fucked. It's mostly not fucked. And there's a small set of things that are fucked that you get to go be heroic towards if you choose to be. Yeah. Yes. 
the 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 practical the, the sort of daily practice that I've that is an obvious thing for this is a gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. And gratitude practices are so I mean they're they're so cliche, they're so Pollyanna, namby pamby. They're so goofy and corny, but the, it, it really it works like magic. It it works unlike any other thing to think about something that you're grateful for just simply thinking about something that you are there thankful for like that could be like the fact that you're alive the fact that you get to talk to people across the country the fact that you have something to eat tonight something as simple as that there no other emotions can can penetrate your your state if you are grateful there's no room for anything else so in that state of gratitude understanding just to the same point that you have things are mostly not fucked that you've got it pretty darn good you're literally a you're being a hero right now by staying in your fucking house and you're in your sweatpants watching netflix and playing video games like that you're doing your part and you're contributing to society by not going outside the fact that 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 sense of gratitude will literally snuff out all of your fear if all of all of your tension, all of your despair, all of the friction, if you just stay in that state and you can be there, then that allows you to come out of that as you sort of shift out of that state of optimism, that, that state, that state of, of gratitude, then you literally do look at things a little bit differently. Absolutely. And again, for me, um, it always comes back to the stories that we tell ourselves. And one of my stories that I tell to cultivate optimism is that the mythological stories of kings and queens are a psychological fact of your conscious mind. And what I mean by that is your conscious experience is like a kingdom and you, the way you choose to be is how the king or queen acts in one of those myths. And the core story in all of these myths is that a healthy kingdom is ruled by a king or a queen who does three things well. The first one is they bring order to the kingdom. And the way that you bring order is to see what can be put in its rightful place, both physically and psychologically. And like what that means is like your to-do list is essentially a list of things that aren't yet in their right order. And each time you do something on your to-do list, you're bringing a little bit more divinity to your kingdom because you're bringing a little bit more order. The other big thing that they do in myths that is the sign of a healthy king or queen is blessing. And symbolically what that means is it's, our, and this is really optimism, it's to see the good in mm. the world and to speak blessings towards it. And that literally brings it out more. And a really practical example of this is if you want to have healthy, amazing relationships, Every time you see someone in your tribe do anything that you admire or that you love, articulate it to them. Tell them that you love it. And the act of simply doing that is like you're putting water on that plant inside of them and it grows. (laughs) And the third thing, the biggest thing, is a healthy kingdom is ran by a king or queen who knows they are not the king or queen. They are a bridge to the divine to bring that energy out into the, into the kingdom. And that is what makes it healthy. The tyrant king or the tyrant queen is one who believes they're the God. They're the thing that is 
bringing all of this magic into the world and all those myths end in ruin. Hmm. And so the idea is like you literally get the opportunity to act out the myth of being a king or a queen and how you conduct yourself in the world. And to bless, I think, is the thing that really resonates with optimism. Like there's so much beauty and perfection in your life right now. And if you articulate it to yourself or to other people, you amplify it. That's beautiful. You know, I, I actually am seeing this in real time on social media that people are a little bit more vulnerable. They're a little bit more real. There's less, you know, there's less booty shots and pictures of, of dinner and more like constructive conversation yeah. and validation and openness and vulnerability. And that is certainly something that we can all contribute to to the, you know, to the online sphere in the different communities that we're a part of. And some of us have larger voices than others, but validation is validation. Validating someone, seeing them, giving them kudos, showing them love and appreciation is something that, that we can all do in our homes. Call your mom, tell her that you love her, call your brother, you know, check in with your, with the people that are close to you or that you haven't talked to in a while, you know, I, I don't know if that's, if, if it's happening in your world, but my, you know, my college buddies are calling and checking in, like the outbreak of COVID in the United States happened like two miles away from my house, like super close to my house. Now doesn't, doesn't mean anything really, but it's really close to me. And when that came out, people understood that, Oh, Sean's in Seattle. Oh, Sean's in North Seattle. Holy shit. Sean's right by there. Oh, Sean's got a grandmother who's 87 years old. And then they're calling and checking in, like, how you doing? What's going on? Like this, the, the, this, is, this is a time for a, a, a great shift in how we see ourselves and how we see the world. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to go through that acronym with me because I've, I, I, when I saw it, I really liked it. And, and I thought, you know, this is going to be really cool for Eric to jump into because he thinks this is, <laughs> this, is, this is your wheelhouse, brother. Yeah, man. Thank you. So- so I, I, a couple other things that I, that I want to dive into with you. Um, is this situation that we're in, I don't know if you've thought of it as this, as in this way, is this like a guy in shadow work? Are we, are we, are we doing a global dark night of the soul right now? Like, do you see it in that way? So there have been some people, I've been doing a lot of Instagram lives recently because that feels like that's one of the ways that I can help. And that is almost word for word one of the questions that I got. And the way that I see it is there is a part of the human mind that wants to create stories as if they're true to bring certainty and a sense of control to themselves. But the fact is you get to choose your story. And what it seems to be is a situation has arisen in the world where the opportunity for individuals to choose to do the dark night of the soul, which is a fundamental part of the hero's journey, is being presented to the entire world at mm -hmm. the same time, probably for the first time in recorded history that I know of, uh, given this sense of globalization and um, connectivity of social media and technology. And so the opportunity is there. Um, 
to anthropomorphize the will of the earth in a way where it even gives a fuck about what humans are doing. I don't know if that's true. And it might be like, it, it truly might be. I don't know. But my favorite question to ask when it comes to all the what ifs is if so, then what? which yeah. is essentially the distillation of pragmatic philosophy, which saved my brain when I was in my early 20s doing a bunch of psychedelics and reading philosophy. Like it, it saved me from going insane. And it's basically, if you choose to believe this idea is true, what do you do? And so I personally am not experiencing it as a dark night of the soul because of what I've done in my past. But I do recognize that for a lot of people, it is their first invitation to a dark night of the soul. Like we were talking about this before we started recording. I feel like I am like in my stride in a way where I almost feel guilty about how well equipped I feel I am mm. doing personally. And I recognize I have immense privilege and immense luck behind my hard work and my ethic and my discipline and my cultivation of my skills. But it doesn't feel like that for me. But I do recognize that it is that for a lot of people. So I'm trying to show up in the world in a way where I can help as many people as possible get through that space in the psyche. And so on one level, it is a mass invitation, but all of us get to choose. And it depends where we are at in our specific hero's journey, because all of us are at some point in the hero's journey always. Yeah. Yeah. Before we hit the record button, we were talking about how, how this, this, you and I feel alive right now. I'm, we all, clearly, we feel alive. I mean, speaking to privilege and the fact that we, have had some things go our way and that we've worked really hard to like not work nine to fives necessarily to have, to have platforms where we can speak our mind that people are actually interested in what we're saying to align ourselves with people in movements, um, in communities that will, that will amplify and sort of reinforce the, the work that we've chosen in this life. Right. You and I, and so, and compounded by, you know, hundreds of hours in a float tank and hundreds and thousands of hours in meditation and numerous psychedelic trips where we faced dark darkness. Like, well, I guess I'm done then. I guess I'm dead. Well, <laughs> here I am dead. I died again. Here I am dead again. Oh boy, this is stressful. And then, oh shit, I oh, oh, oh my hands work again. Okay, I'm coming back. Oh, he didn't die. Okay. Well, see things a little bit differently. And for, for some folks, and this is not to like other people, but, but for some folks who have not had that level of sort of existential stress, have not had that level of facing the depths of the darkness and understanding that they're still alive and they're still living and breathing until, until it's really their day, that, that for a lot of people who don't tend to think in the ways that you speak – are beginning to like they're beginning to think about the the meaning around this and what's their role to play what will come next for them what what how is this going to affect their career plans how is this going to affect where they live or what they do or how they see people you know their senses of community that they've built if you can't see people and you live alone man it's gonna it's, it's got to be really lonely for a lot a lot of people um and so whether or not it is it is you know, Pachamama, Earth Mother, Gaia saying, you know, 
hey, I've got to go through this and everybody's, we're all going through this together or not, whether nature gives a shit about what's going on or not. The fact is that a lot of people are, a lot of people are facing this for the first time and uh, they'll wake up tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. And what you, something that you said kind of crystallized something for me. Going through the dark night of the soul literally is what creates the hero acronym. Because what it does for you is it shows you, you are so much more capable Hmm. than your ego believes you are every time you go through a cycle of the dark night of the soul. And like psychedelics are a really great way to force a dark night of the soul because for a lot of us, you will literally feel like you have just died. But you'll notice something. You're still experiencing. You're still breathing. And as long as you are breathing, you have the potential to make the world better through the choices that you make. And I think that what the dark night of the soul teaches you is that you are the hero. It teaches those four skills into your body. And because we've done a few of those cycles, we know it can be so much worse. And because we're one of the ones who know that it can be worse, we can be helpful. And there will be, a, and kind of the core of the dark night of the soul is the ego finally not being able to continue to run from the fact that you are destined to die. Lots of people have lived their entire life being able to play the games that culture provides to help you forget the fact that you are going to die. And it's confronting the fact of your mortality that I think is kind of at the root of the existential fear that can come from the dark night of the soul. But there's also something deeply beautiful about finally consciously recognizing your mortality. And it's Mm -hmm. that you get this one life and you get to choose how you dance, how you live, how you help, how you serve. And I don't think that we were born to live a life of a whisper. You know, I feel like we were born to fucking come in here screaming and singing and creating a fucking commotion that inspires other people to dance. Like all of us know those situations where there's like this pregnant energy in the room and then one person starts dancing. Hmm. It's like the whole fucking room just can't help. It has to start dancing. And that that's almost like what we get to be as heroes is like, we through how we behave we get to show people like this is not something that you come and sleepwalk through yeah it's something that you fucking come and scream and dance and make music to yeah and then you're gonna die and it's okay yeah and the meaning is is yours to create the the meaning for your life why are you here you know what 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 will you do while you're here is up to you, you know. If you believe in a soul contract, if you believe in reincarnation, if you believe in, uh, you know, if, if you're a deconstructionist materialist and you're just atoms and you know there's no purpose, well, you're still here. So what are you gonna do? What's the What's the next plan? What's your next play? Yeah, and the thing that I would offer that um, has changed my life is, you can only ask the question of what the meaning is to a song if you truly aren't listening. (laughs) But if you're listening to a song, if you're really listening to a song, you're dancing. And if you're dancing, you're never ever asking, what is the meaning of the song? 
And I believe that we have a thing inside of us. I like to call it the daemon, but most people call it the soul. It's whispering a song to you. And the more you learn how to listen to that thing inside of you that's whispering your song, and you learn how to dance with it through how you behave in the world, you, you enter into flow, which mm-hmm. I think is the Western term for what they were calling Tao in the East. And when you're in the Tao, you're never fucking asking what the meaning of the Tao is. You are in it, you are dancing, you are living. And if you're ever at a point where you're asking yourself, what is the meaning? That's how you know that you're not listening to the song. Yeah, well said. I like that a lot. Um, one question that I, that I start out with for most of these is what time of day is it and what have you put in your body today? And, you know, those are usually for experts in nutrition or experts in, you know, sort of performance yeah. stuff. And what I'm curious about, um, and I'm, I'm going to change the question for you, is what have you put in your mind today? Mm. Because I think, and, and I'm going to do what I always do, which is ask a question and then talk, Sean. But, <laughs> hey. but, but I, I think cultivating the right habits around our, our, our media consumption or information consumption are really, really important. And we create echo chambers and Google and Facebook and Instagram create echo chambers for us to just like, you know, confirm our biases over and over all day long. You, you know, search engines just give you what you think you're going to want. But that aside... I'm curious about what you're reading right now. Where do you go for news? How do you stay on top of this? What, what sort of inspirational texts are you, are you absorbing during this time that is, that is so uncertain for people? Yeah, that's a great question because I do think that anything that you interact with psychologically is like you're eating, but you're eating information and it affects your psyche to the same degree that um, food affects your body. Today was a weird day for me. Never in my life have I woken up at 2 a.m. and felt like I couldn't fall back asleep. And today I woke up at 2 a.m. I went to bed at like 10.30. And um, I've been writing every day since this started. I normally read for like two hours in the morning, but then I get these like waves where I feel called to write. And so I've been writing for the last couple of weeks. And I've been working on a journaling course because basically the thing I'm constantly, when people ask me almost any question, my response to it is some type of journaling. And so I'm almost done with the course. And it's like this thing in me woke me up at 2 a.m. And it's like, get up and go start writing. And so um, the first thing I do every day in the morning is I have an altar in front of my bed where the TV in almost every house would be. And even the architecture of the room is set up in, in a way where all the outlets for the TV are across from the area where the bed would make the most sense to go. And instead of being told how to think about my future, which is what a TV is doing, which is basically a portal into mainstream entertainment telling you how to think, I have an altar and it has a bunch of really cool shit on it that reminds me of the type of person that I want to be. And I have this tapestry of this ayahuasca tree basically that has eyes and every morning I sit down, I kneel before it. I look into its eyes like I'm looking into the eye of my God. And I basically just like, depending on the day, I maybe say a prayer or something, but really it's this felt sense of like, I see you. I know you see me. I'm going to show up today. And then I kiss my altar and then I go downstairs to my desk and 
I wrote for like five hours. Like, whoa. And I have not written that much in one sitting, maybe ever. So today was a interesting day to be doing this podcast, but um, I wrote for like five hours. And then what did I do? Um, I wrote a post on Instagram that feels like it's one of the best ones I've honestly written in a while. And then um, I didn't read at all today, but I am reading a book right now called Lost Connections, which is basically all about um, demystifying the myth that depression and anxiety is a result of a chemical imbalance in the brain and that it's actually caused by being disconnected from nine fundamental human needs that we've evolved Hmm. to have. And so I'm reading that, but I didn't read it today. And after I wrote, I did a cold plunge. I have an ice freezer in my garage that's like fucking ice. Uh, I sat in that for maybe two or three minutes, took a shower, and then I went to work. um, And I did some like work work for like two to three hours. And then I came back and I took a nap. So I haven't digested any, (laughs) I haven't digested any information other than what I chose to interact with in a way where I had some autonomy in its creation. And then I got on this fucking podcast and (laughs) the way, like I do not watch the news and people like, it's so interesting to pay attention to people's responses when I tell them that, because most people like they can instantly feel like the presence of my mind and they know that I'm not dumb. So they can't really like, make fun of me but i can feel that they're like that's irresponsible (laughs) how can you not be plugged into the anxiety machine that we all are um but basically the way that the way that i think about it is there's a couple of people that i follow like tim ferris who i know is paranoid and very organized in his thinking that he will do all of the fucking research for me. And <laughs> I just have to pay attention to what he says. And I know that he takes deep care in how he gives. So I pick a couple of nodes and I pay attention to those nodes and I don't pay any attention to the bullshit. I have not watched a single second of news about the virus. And I feel that I'm more informed than most people that I know. <laughs> and I have none of the like, junk food around the information Hmm. Uh, so that's how i approach the whole virus thing uh but that's what my day's been like yeah wow i think that you are probably very unique in that approach my man (laughs) (laughs) i'm weird as fuck i know (laughs) yeah i i think you're i think you're probably you're probably an outlier when it comes to when it comes to that i mean i mean that's that's one day but to say that you haven't really been tracking the updates and the news and stuff Um, but it's, it's, it's your, it's your choice. And and I've heard you talk about culture and, and one of my favorite Terrence McKenna quotes is culture is not your friend. And it's true. It's not your friend. Culture is not here to be your buddy. It's not here to support you. It's not here to, to, to make you happy. One of the things that I would offer there that I think is important is that if not for culture, you would have died as an infant and that culture is not perfect, but it provides enough of a structure for you to then become an adult. But then once you become an adult and you have the skills to use your consciousness to discern the bullshit from the gold, you then have like the 
mythical hero story is you go and you rescue your father from the underworld is one of the core stories. And how I see that is culture is not perfect, but if not for culture, you would not have survived outside of infancy. Like there are so like the electricity and the water and the home and the food that you're able to go to at the grocery store is a result of culture interacting with human consciousness, but it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. And every conscious individual, I think, owes it to culture to heal it a little bit through their heroic endeavors. Mm -hmm. And so just like your parents aren't your friend when you're an adult, they were your fucking gods when you were an infant. Like there's this idea in psychoanalytic psychology that you have to kill your parents. And what that means is that once you become an adult, in order to become who you truly could be, you have to be able to destroy the projections and the expectations that your parents have of who they think you should be because that's not what your soul wants. Hmm. And I think it's the same thing with culture. Culture wants you to be a certain way for it to stay alive in the way that it was in the past. But your Hmm. obligation is to, once you're able to, you break out of that shit, but not to completely destroy it and not have any gratitude for the fact that it was your support structure when you couldn't fucking stand and then you can come make it better. Like like our conversations and what we are doing are introducing new stories into the collective mass of stories, which is what culture is. It's, it's, It's a collection of stories that invite people to behave a certain way. And we say yes. It doesn't make us. Like there's a great book called uh, Finite and Infinite Games. And it's, it's, so amazing. But one of the things that it talks about is in order for a game to be a game, every player has to choose. And all of us are choosing every way that we are being in the world. Because the truth is we could say no. And maybe saying no means you go to jail, but you could say no. Maybe saying no means you die, but you could say no. So we're saying yes. And it's about learning what parts of the games of culture to say no to so right. that you can then improve it in a specific way. So I think Terrence McKenna was right, but that it needs specification. I agree. I agree. Well, and it's unavoidable. Yeah, like like to like to to your to your point. You know, you could go you could go disappear into the mountains of Tibet and avoid culture. You know, arguably you're going to confront more culture, a different kind of culture, but it's a, it, it it is it is unavoidable. Um and when you are in, when you are faced with a global event, a once in three generations global event, like we are experiencing right now, you got to be choosy about what you're exposing yourself to, what narratives you're buying into, how closely you're watching, watching what it's doing to your brain as you're consuming it. Where are you getting this resource? What do you do with that information once it's, once it hits your brain? Like what if you're if you're if you're not paying attention to how you're consuming, what you're consuming, and what effect it's having on you, then you're just sort of getting you know f- flipped around in the wind. You know you're you just you just you're you're getting crashed around by the waves. Um, so the last what, of the human freedoms is our ability to choose our attitude in any given yeah. situation. You get to choose what you digest. Yeah. It is, yeah. It's your responsibility. Yeah. Well, I, I feel satisfied. <laughs> I 
I feel very satisfied and I, I'm so thankful for you. Uh, please allow me to give you some gratitude and to give, acknowledge you, Eric, because you know, we have not spoken for a couple of years and we sort of were doing sort of similar things. And um, I've obviously been watching what you've been, what you've been doing. It really gave me a ton of pleasure to open up a men's health magazine and see your name on uh, my trip to Hawaii um, brought me great joy and appreciation for you. And when it comes to this sort of stuff, you know, how fucking perfect is it that the guy that I'm going to, to ask about these sorts of crazy things, psychologically, how do we deal with this stuff? How do we think about this stuff? Isn't fucking following the stories. He's not, he's not even like, I don't fucking know. Like, well, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know. I wrote for five hours today. I woke up at 2am and then I did a little bit of work and then I took a nap and I, you know, I checked out my altar. Like, of course that's fucking, that's a perfect answer, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> like to count, to count on you, but your ability to bring into the world, to actually like manifest the things that, that are, that are etheric, that are non-physical, to bring yeah. them into the world, to live it, to write about it, to post about it, to show it, and to, to really create, uh, create a life and a lifestyle around the things that you believe in. It's something that I really admire about you. And I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast today. Thank you, brother. This was a great interview. You know what you're doing. I appreciate you reaching out and thank you for seeing me. I am going to ask one more question. Uh, you, may, you may or may not see this coming. For every guest, uh, I ask a fill in the blank question at the very end of the episode. Um, so if you would fill in the blank and elaborate as much as you'd like, and then we'll take this. Well, before we do that, um, please tell people where they can find you, where they can read your stuff and where they can connect. Uh, my website is my name, ericgodsey.com. Instagram is the main place that I do shit on social media. Also, Eric Godsey. Um, and my podcast is The Myths That Make Us. So if you would please fill in the blank and elaborate as much as you'd like. Everyone would benefit from knowing that if you speak and act your truth in love, whatever happens as a result of that is the best possible thing that can happen. And if you live your life to that ethos, you will manifest your dreams. Beautiful. I'm gonna let that one sink in for a second. Eric Godzi. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Optimal Performance Podcast. Thank you, brother. Nice. Holy smokes. That was a good one. Tons and tons of usable information for you to think about, for you to begin to make sense of in your own life and to apply. Those thought exercises, those practices around gratitude, ways to think about how you can analyze your dreams so that you can gain some insight. The fact that there's a God inside of you that wants to show you the way. Powerful, powerful stuff. Eric is a really cutting edge, innovative thinker. You know, he's, he's a real inspiration for a lot of people in, in the world, especially like millennials who are looking for deeper meaning and deeper purpose. And he are, he and I are aligned on so many different levels. Uh, I just really enjoyed that conversation. I hope that you got a lot out of it. You know, again, it's it's my goal to bring to you every single week great stuff that will help you in your life. And 
this episode certainly delivered. And it's going to take me, even though I've just gone through it to edit it, I'm going to go back through it again, listen to it and apply some of this stuff in my life because I've got areas to improve. So I want to talk a little bit about something that I love. And one thing that I realized over doing this a couple of times is that I don't really feel called to talk about things that I don't love. You know, I'm I'm a very grateful person overall, and I found myself stretching to find things that I don't love. And you did not come here for social commentary. You came here for for the good stuff. And so for me to cheapen that by talking about things that I don't love, I think is uh, I tried it and didn't like the way it worked, so I'm just bailing on it. So I'm just going to talk about things that I love, period. On that note, the thing that I've been loving a lot lately is my own tasks. Household chores. This is the perfect time to spring clean. Do those chores around the house that you've been meaning to. I know that Home Depot is still open. And so, for instance, we renovated the laundry room. We just pulled up the old linoleum and put some new stuff down. We put a fresh coat of paint on it. And it kind of goes in line with what we're talking about today is, is, um, efficacy. You know, if you can exercise little areas of efficacy in your life, start by doing a Jordan Peterson and making your bed, getting your, getting your house organized, you know, social change comes from people acting in the right way. And, uh, exercising their their First Amendment rights, but if your house is a mess and it's unorganized and you're floundering at your own house or apartment or wherever you live, um, take a look at that. This is a great opportunity. Your home, like clean up. So, th- what's one thing that you can do this week where you can uh, beautify your home, organize it in a certain way? You know, Amazon is still delivering non-essential items and. Regardless of what your opinions are about Amazon, I still use Amazon, and um, so you can get stuff to beautify your home and do it in a in a frugal way, you know. So that's one thing that I love chores. I guess I guess I love chores and home renovations on the honeydew list. Um, so take that as you will. Thank you for listening to another awesome episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. The website is almost ready and it's going to house all of the episodes and notes and an online store where you can see some of the products that I use really frequently that uh, that I think you'll get a lot out of. So thank you so much for listening and I will see you on the internet.